0: Hello and welcome to Movie Culture.
1: Movie Culture!
0: Today, we are talking about The Good Dinosaur.
1: The Good Dinosaur was released in 2015 and is Pixar's 16th feature film. The movie was written by Meg LeFov and directed by Peter Sohn.
0: In case it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, or if you haven't seen it, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen this movie, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion.
1: Arlo is a timid young dinosaur who lives with his family in a world where dinosaurs did not go extinct, but instead evolved. Arlo's job is to protect their food, which a humanoid critter has been stealing. After being unable to fulfill his responsibilities, Arlo's father takes him to track down the boy, but a storm causes the river to surge killing the father and washing Arlo away. Arlo and the boy, who Arlo names Spot, wash up far from his family's farm, and while Arlo is afraid of Spot at first, he soon develops affection for the child. On their trek back, they meet a variety of other dinosaurs who teach Arlo about fear and courage. These lessons keep Arlo and Spot safe as they make their way back home. So Tay, what did you think about this movie?
0: This movie, it didn't work. (laughs) I felt watching it like it was a lot of different pieces that were just smushed together. And the movie was maybe less than the sum of its parts.
1: I totally agree. The movie doesn't really work. It feels like it needs at least another three or four drafts.
0: It did really seem like an early draft. It, It just, it felt like it, Really needed revision.
1: Yeah. And Pixar has said that they were never really able to crack the story of this movie.
0: Right. They pushed this movie back in production. They, it was supposed to come out in 2013. Mm-hmm. It ended up coming out in 2015 because of story problems. They said pretty much exactly. They just came out and said, this story is not working. We know it's not working. Mm-hmm. So we need to push it back. They rehired a whole voice cast. They rewrote most of the movie. Yeah. They brought on a new director. It was it was a whole thing and I think that they went through a lot of different versions and still found that it didn't really work.
1: It seems like their eventual answer was to really scale down the movie. That they took out any big ideas, any typical Pixar ideas about the world and and how we think and feel and act, and really infusing life into these movies and instead, they made a movie about a goofy dinosaur who gets and do a few goofy adventures, and honestly, it feels like a way to distract kids for an hour and a half, not an essential movie,
0: well, yeah, so the original idea was to show the world what it's really like to be a dinosaur. And it seems that by dinosaur, they meant old. They meant an older Mm -hmm. person, someone who was resistant to change. The the metaphor of, oh, you're a dinosaur.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. And then when they rewrote it, they completely took that aspect of it out. Mm -hmm. And they made it about this kid and his fear. And it feels like this movie has a few scenes in it that really speak to the theme of fear and growing up. But maybe those scenes, are four in the movie.
1: It's not cohesive.
0: Yeah, and the rest of it, it does feel a bit random.
1: Okay, so I think we should change up our structure a little bit for this episode. Because usually we talk about the things we like, maybe we talk about some critiques we had, and then we get into the theme. Maybe not the specific theme for the characters, but what the movie was really trying to say. And... This movie, as it's written, isn't really trying to say anything. So I think what we should do is first talk about why doesn't it have the messages that it probably wanted to have? And then as kind of a fun separate exercise, I think you and I should talk about some of the ideas that the movie does have, some of the things it could work on, and how it could get to the point. Play a little bit of, you know, Pixar Fixer.
0: So fun. So close to rhyming, Josh.
1: I know. Pixar fixar.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that I actually do think it is trying to say something. What's that? I think that it's trying to say something about fear. And Sam Elliott's T-Rex character articulates pretty much what I think that they want the theme of this movie to be.
1: Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of fear. It's like Mother Nature. You can't beat her or outrun her but you can get through it. You can find out what you're made of.
0: Wow, does your voice hurt? Does your throat hurt after doing that?
1: No, that's actually the natural cadence of my voice. (laughs) And this hurts a little bit.
0: (laughs) Well, I give that impression an 8 out of 10.
1: I mean, that's like a B.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's
1: not very good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's a really great sentiment. I like that. I think that the movie is trying to do that with Arlo's fear because that's really his defining and honestly only character trait. Yeah. Is that he is afraid of things. But the thing about fear is that there are actually lots of ways to depict it and different depth that you can give to the portrayal of fear. Mm -hmm. So the questions that we should be asking are maybe, where does Arlo's fear come from? What is he trying to protect himself from? Mm -hmm. What feelings typically is he trying not to feel or is he afraid to feel?
1: Fear is a response. So what is he responding to?
0: Yes. And how does his fear response affect his relationship Mm -hmm. with his loved ones? Because the best way to convey emotionality is through relationships because that is how we understand the world and we understand our own communities.
1: It's not just that he's afraid. His fear doesn't necessarily matter for him, but it matters because it prevents him from doing a job that would help his family.
0: Right. The problem with how they are depicting Arlo's fear Mm -hmm. is that it is very superficial. He is skittish. He is just afraid of anything it seems that crosses his path Mm -hmm. he's afraid of chickens he's afraid of
1: he's like afraid of lightning he's afraid of like sounds in the bushes movement in the grass the unexpected
0: he's just he's skittish about everything and that can be fine in the very beginning to introduce this and we expect Mm -hmm. to see the layers peeled back as we keep going But for so much of the movie, we stay at this basic survival instinct level. Mm -hmm. And for the first half of the movie, really, he's just constantly afraid that something's going to kill him. And then he realizes that that something is not going to kill him. And then he's afraid of another thing going to kill him. And then he realizes that's not happening. So you have a problem here of both that. It remains surface level for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So when something is surface level and it doesn't really show us the emotions behind the reaction, we're not able to connect to Arlo or we don't really care about him. And then it also has a problem of repetition, which this movie just repeats the same beat over and over again. I think that when we meet Spot, who is the human, Arlo is mad at Spot because he feels like Spot's the reason that his dad died. And so he's resistant to Spot. And then Arlo is afraid of something. And then Spot saves him. Arlo is afraid of something. Spot saves him. So it just, it keeps going and it gets very tiring.
1: Mm-hmm. So right there, you have the first two reasons why this movie doesn't really work. The first reason is that it's hard to connect to Arlo. It's hard for the audience to, because he's not a very deep character. He just has this one thing, he's afraid, he's skittish, and that's all we get from him. So we don't really relate. And I think a subset of that is we don't really understand what he wants, right? There's no way for us to bond with him or at least see the world as he sees it because it's just so far outside of us.
0: Right. And I think that the only understanding we have of what he wants is he wants to survive. And that's actually a very base level of character want because- Everyone wants to survive. There's no specificity there. There's nothing that we can latch on to, like you're saying, about like what is it about Arlo and his specific journey and his specific character that we're going to root for and engage with.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the second thing that you're saying is the movie is redundant. It plays the same character beats over and over. Arlo is skittish about something, and then he realizes he shouldn't be. But he still is. And it goes that way for about the first half of the movie. And you really just need one of those scenes to get you on the same page as Arlo, to introduce him as a character. But instead, you just feel like you're in this wheel and it's not interesting, it's not new. You're just watching the same thing over and over. It gets, I don't want to say boring, that's a little harsh, but certainly tiresome.
0: It also doesn't escalate. It kind of de-escalates. So Mm -hmm. you're getting the same beat, but less and less and less, partially because every time he's afraid of something and then survives it, we see that this world is not capable of harming Arlo, really.
1: And that's the third thing, that the stakes in this movie just do not build to keep you engaged.
0: Exactly. He falls into rushing rapids basically first, before anything, and then...
1: It's the break into act two.
0: Right. It's it's right before he meets Spot. And then all of the things that he's worried about when he meets Spot, we're not very worried about because we've seen that he can pretty much survive anything in this world.
1: Once he's been swept away by rapids once, anytime he's close to rapids or falls into the river again... It has no emotional connection because we know he's going to be okay because he has been okay. Same thing for falling off of very steep ledges. He did that a few times in the movie. And the movie could have held tension by saying, he better not, he better not, he better not. Every time he manages to get out of it. But you as the audience don't know that if he doesn't get out of it, he will still be okay.
0: That's something that Inside Out does really well. Exactly.
1: Exactly right? Things almost go bad and they get really close to going bad a bunch of times. But in this movie, bad stuff happens to Arlo and he's fine. So by the second half of the movie, instead of being like, oh no, I hope Arlo doesn't fall into that rapid. You're just like, Arlo, stop falling into rapids. Like, come it on. It
0: happens the four times. Yeah. So I think that those are the problems that stand out the most to me.
1: And I think one way that The audience views that because not everyone has your particular way of getting inside a story and seeing exactly what makes the story feel this way. But the audience watching reads all of these things as being not very engaging, that the lack of stakes, the lack of character development, the redundancy, it just makes it not a very interesting or engaging story.
0: I think that that is unfortunately true and something that I really noticed watching this is that I've talked on this podcast about the classic three-act Hollywood structure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Most Hollywood movies use the formula of Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. And if you've read through it, it's it feels like a formula, but a lot of movies, and I mean, I think every Pixar movie has used the same formula, so you can see how you can take a basic structure and then build something really unique and interesting from it.
1: The only one I think that might not is Finding Nemo, which feels more episodic, a little bit more like it might be in a five-act structure instead of this more basic three-act.
0: The thing that is fun about structure is that it is an artificial thing that we put onto narratives. Ooh. So in Finding Nemo, I think that you can see that they have taken basic principles from this save the cat idea. They've brought in traditional oral storytelling methods with this episodic journey story, this odyssey story. And then they're, they're doing a lot and they're, I think they're taking structural inspiration from different places. Structure is really just a framework and a way to understand the ups and downs of an emotional journey and how to tell that in a way that is engaging to an audience. What stood out to me about The Good Dinosaur is that if you look at Save the Cat specifically, Blake Snyder has broken down the beats of story structure into these kind of fun chunks, and he's named them in, in fun ways. So,
1: can you go through the Save the Cat structure and give kind of a very high level 30,000 foot summary for? you know the majority of the audience who may not have read the who may not have read Blake Snyder's work
0: yes yeah, so we have the first act which introduces your character you have the inciting incident which introduces the idea that they will have to go on a quest you will typically have a character weighing the pros and cons of this quest trying to resist it and then the break into act 2 is when they accept the quest and decide to go off on their journey whatever that journey may be
1: In this movie, and I think actually in a lot of Pixar movies, it's when someone leaves the place that they have been and goes to a different place. So in The Good Dinosaur, it's when Arlo's washed away downriver. But in Inside Out, it's when joy and sadness are shot off to the far edges of Riley's brain.
0: Right. Then we have Act Two, which is really hard to write. (laughs) At least in my experience, it's always really hard to write. Um, This is the brunt of the character's journey, and the first act of it will be them attempting to solve this journey in a flawed way, and they will eventually reach a midpoint. They will typically have a false victory when they think that their methods have been working. They will then realize that their methods did not work, that it was false. And then the second half of act two is kind of everything is spiraling and falling apart until they hit the lowest point when they realize that they must fundamentally change their their fundamental flaw. And then they have the break into act three, which is them moving into kind of the final push of their character journey and becoming the person that they are meant to be.
1: Now, as you're saying that, it does seem like the good dinosaur follows these beats pretty closely.
0: Yes. So what I really noticed is... Like I said, like Snyder defines these different chunks of the story in like cutesy ways. So the first half of act two, he calls fun and games. Mm -hmm. The second half of act two, he calls bad guys close in. And that's just shorthand for the the journey that this character is going on and the general feeling that the audience might have at this point in the journey. Okay. What I really saw in The Good Dinosaur, and I'm... (laughs) I want to be very careful because I don't want to say this movie is bad. I feel like this movie is undeveloped and every story at a certain point is undeveloped. Yeah. So I I feel like I really saw that, that the movie was trying to do what it was supposed to be doing based on this structure at any given moment. But those scenes felt really detached from Arlo's actual emotions and any kind of broader journey. So the first, uh, the first half of Act Two, which would be fun and games, we see a lot of random stuff happening. Arlo and Spot take hallucinogenic berries, and then they have a bit of a trip, <laughs> um, which I think is. Uh, I was surprised <laughs> to see that in a movie for kids. And, and the- that's
1: also when you meet some of the fun other dinosaurs who are kind of goofy and kooky and out there.
0: Right. But they don't really have anything to say about fear or any larger theme. And we don't see them again. They just kind of pop in and, and are weird. Yeah. <laughs> um. It, it just feels like a lot of stuff going on. And, and we see montages, which <laughs> I've made it clear. My stance on montages. <laughs> um, but we see... Spot and Arlo bonding and having fun together. Mm -hmm. Then we have this midpoint. And then after the midpoint, we start to see lots of different kinds of bad guys. So we have these buzzards that come. We have something called wrestlers.
1: They're sort of like feathery velociraptors who are trying to take the T-Rex cowboy dinosaurs' longhorn steers. They're like cattle thieves but right. dinosaur form of cattle thief.
0: Right. And we see T-Rexes who seem like they are going to be bad guys, but then they're not. They're they're friendly. Um, but I think that it, it stood out to me that I felt like this movie was really trying to hit the right beats at the right time, but those beats didn't feel connected to each other and they didn't feel connected to Arlo. In most cases, some of them were, but I felt like the majority of them were happening because maybe it felt like something was supposed to happen or because they needed to fill space.
1: This might sound like a more devastating critique than I mean it to, but what this model represents is really a formula, a pattern of the things that stories that work have in common, right? There have been all these really effective stories throughout human history, and These are the beats that the most effective ones always hit, and you can kind of track that. But if you start with this formula and try and build off of it without the fundamental story underlining, it comes off formulaic. And in a way, it kind of seems like if you fed Save the Cat into an AI screenwriting machine, this is a little bit what you'd get. You'd get things that do hit the exact formula and hit these particular beats, but they don't understand that there's supposed to be a single through line through the movie.
0: Yeah, and I feel I feel bad saying this. I I do feel like I th- I think it does strike me as something that is not one particular person's fault because of course it not. seems like we know that they changed the story significantly multiple times that many different people came and went on this project. And so it feels like maybe along the way, the story lost the heart of it. And so in the face of that, seeing something that where they can't really place what this story is even about. Mm-hmm. And they know that it's not working because they can't, they don't know what it's about. So when they have that, the instinct is okay, well, Let's just try to hit the right beats.
1: Yeah, that brings up something really interesting, which is one of my main questions about this movie, which is, why is this movie about dinosaurs? One thing that Pixar has been really good at is pairing the story they're telling and the emotions that you're trying to go through with the characters. It's no accident that a story about emotions is told from the perspective of animate emotions like joy and sadness in Inside Out, or going way back that a story about needing to bond together and the power of unity is told from the perspective of an ant colony. There are clever ways that Pixar has always said, what's the story we're trying to tell? What's the main fundamental thoughts that we're trying to get across? And who should be telling that story? both in an innovative way, a clever way, and just an understanding that you can do kind of different things. And that's fun and exciting and a fun way to shake everything up. You don't always need to have these stories told by animated children. You can tell these same stories through all sorts of different bodies. If this movie, as you said earlier, was about what it means to be old, what it means to be outdated, to me, that's really interesting then it would be really interesting for the main characters to be dinosaurs. If it was about people who are misunderstood or who were stereotyped in a particular way, I think, again, that may have been an interesting place for dinosaurs to be at the center. That we think of dinosaurs culturally in one way, but, you know, we think of only the bad dinosaurs, but also there's the good dinosaur. But instead, it's just a movie about fear, And there's no reason this movie has to be told from a dinosaur's perspective.
0: It feels disconnected from the world that it's in. And I think that that's even visible with the animation choices.
1: That, to me, is the biggest tragedy of this story. Because while the story doesn't work, the animation is next level.
0: It is gorgeous. And it's so photorealistic. It's There are points when you can't tell that it's animated. It's so impressive.
1: So Pixar has talked about how this was the next step in their animation. You know, they really figured out a way to make the world just exactly as it is. They worked with the U.S. Geological Survey to make sure that the land itself acted in a specific way, that the mountain ranges, that there are all these different ecological backdrops that are all... Truly, absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. And that is in the background of every single shot. What we have been saying about how the story team and the writers just felt like they needed a few more drafts, whatever they were doing just wasn't really working out, that doesn't extend to the rest of the movie. Especially the animators who generated the background and the world of this movie are on another level. I don't think it is that far out of the ballpark to say that The leap up that the animators make from all the other Pixar movies to this one in terms of the animation of the background is as big a leap as when Pixar turned the animation industry from hand-drawn to computer-generated.
0: I think that's true.
1: It's a wild new generation of animation. It's incredible. I cannot stop thinking about it, except that Arlo is goofy-looking. And the rest of the dinosaurs are goofy looking. And in front of this incredibly photorealistic background that is exactly the way that nature looks in nature documentaries, you just including like lizards and birds. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. It's everything. And in front of that, you have these like very goofy looking dinosaurs and it feels silly.
0: I kept thinking about what I read about Finding Nemo which is that they studied the ocean and how to how to animate the ocean and they got so good at animating the ocean that it looked real. And they found that when they had their cartoon fish swimming in a real looking ocean, it was uncanny valley. It was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking that this is what happens because you have this background that looks real and then you have these Wallace and Gromit type dinosaurs walking around.
1: Exactly.
0: And it it just adds to the feeling that I felt in the whole movie, which is that this is disjointed. This movie doesn't make sense.
1: And maybe that leads us into the second half of our conversation, because the setting and the artists who worked on the setting deserved a better story, because this had so much potential. And it's such a cool idea. And some of the execution is so good that it would have been so good to see this really come to life instead of, you know, what is widely considered to be Pixar's first bomb.
0: Yeah, I think that they stayed in the red for this movie. I don't think that they earned their money back.
1: They didn't once you count the marketing expenses. that Their production costs and marketing costs are greater than the revenue they pulled in at the box office, which I think is fairly common for movies generally. But for Pixar, absolutely not, because the reason we love Pixar so much, the reason this is the series we're doing is because Pixar is so consistent and this is the one blip on it. It wouldn't make sense to do something like this with another animation studio or or really any other studio, because it wouldn't make sense to go through everything on any other studio because everyone's got so many dips like this. And this just stands out because it's really Pixar's only, of course, there are a few others that people have trouble with, but at least from an earnings perspective, Pixar's only dip. Yeah. So to start our game of Pixar Fixer, I want to ask you, what were some of the scenes and some of the ideas that you thought were pretty interesting?
0: I thought that the scene that they have at the midpoint of the movie was the first scene that I kind of sat up a little bit and was really, truly engaged.
1: And which scene is that?
0: That is when Arlo and Spot bond over losing their parents. Mm. And it's really impressive because it's done silently. They set up little sticks in the grass to represent the different members of their family. And then they tip over the members who have passed and kind of bury them in the sand. Mm -hmm. And they both do that. So we see that Spot has lost both of his parents and Arlo has lost his father. And it works because we see these characters who have formed this alliance over survival, the base need, and it has now escalated into an actual bond, an actual connection that has more depth to it.
1: I think that is such an interesting idea this movie could have been about, because it does stay about survival the whole time, right? Arlo leaves, and he's afraid of dying, and then he keeps being afraid of dying, and eventually he makes it home. But if you had a movie that was about the need to survive and some characters, a certain character, your lead character, wanting to do more than survive, wanting to go beyond that, that is a really interesting movie to make with a dinosaur Mm -hmm. at the center. Mm -hmm. Because dinosaurs, you know, they didn't survive. So what if dinosaurs had survived? Well, wouldn't that have just been enough, right? But no, not for Arlo. Arlo wants to do more. Instead, we see Arlo just wanting to survive. But maybe that's the first thing is, Everyone else is just trying to survive, maybe just trying to get enough food for the winter. But Arlo wants more than that.
0: Yeah. And so that sets him apart. That gives him specificity that we can root for. Mm-hmm. And, and it's an exciting question. Will he succeed? Will he be able to do more? Will he figure out what more means?
1: Maybe he will make his mark. Which the movie uses make his mark both as like a literal and a figurative phrase. Literally, because when you like do something good, you get to put your foot in the sand, your paw in the sand, and then put it up against a wall and make a mark on the wall. But also, you know, your, your mark on the world. It doesn't work because it's silly because like, why can't he just put his footprint on the wall and also the things that people do to put their footprints on the wall are just like scaring some crows away or something. It's like not a big deal. Yeah, That part doesn't work, but maybe he could make his mark in the figurative way.
0: Right. And the question of what does it mean to do something bigger? What does it mean to matter? Can you matter? Can Mm -hmm. you impact the world around you? Is more interesting than can Arlo survive? Because yes, of course Arlo can survive. He's not gonna die at the end of the movie.
1: What a crazy movie if this was about how dinosaurs survived for so many years, except Arlo who
0: died. Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a swing. <laughs> okay, so the dinosaurs as a population are all about survival. And mm-hmm. that is the most important thing to dinosaurs. That is survival above all else.
1: And we see that because they're at a point in evolution where humans were when they just needed to survive, right? They have settled down a little bit and basically they have evolved not to, you know, technology, but to agriculture, right? We see the herbivores who have become farmers and the carnivores like the T-Rexes who are ranchers and cowboys. And it's just at that level where everyone is really, really concerned about Getting enough food. And that's what the dinosaurs need. But Arlo wants more than food. He wants, I don't know, it could be anything.
0: Yeah, like any classic Disney princess story. Ooh. Where Arlo sings about how he wants a big, great adventure somewhere out there. Yeah. (laughs) But then Arlo meets a little human.
1: And I think this human needs to speak.
0: It's It's a bit strange that the human in the movie is just a dog.
1: There's no reason for Spot, who, again, like, we've been calling Spot because that's what Arlo calls him, but he is a boy. He's not a dog.
0: Right, he, but the movie treats him just as a dog. and yeah. is it? it's not supposed to be weird, but it is weird.
1: Including, like, he walks around on all fours.
0: And barks and howls. Yeah. Right.
1: Even more like a wolf than a dog, but not at all like a boy. So... I think you need this boy to live, and I think you need humans and dinosaurs to have evolved separately, Mm -hmm. but concurrently. And maybe this is part of the dinosaur pact, that to survive, they need to stay away from humans, but Arlo, through some sort of whatever, meets one of these humans and tries to bridge these worlds.
0: Right. Or eventually learns to bridge these worlds. Maybe Mm -hmm. Arlo, there is a fundamental distrust between... Arlo, and the human at first because their various populations don't trust each other.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Humans believe bad things about dinosaurs.
0: Right. Maybe humans similarly feel like they have to survive and and their way to survive is maybe they need to hunt the dinosaurs.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Meanwhile, dinosaurs feel that humans are destroying the environment, cutting down trees. Is that a little on the nose?
0: Well, then it would feel like the dinosaurs are right and humans are just bad.
1: Not if it's at a point in human development. We're not talking about like deforestation. We're talking about building settlements and camps as opposed to sort of a pure agrarian life.
0: Well, maybe dinosaurs distrust the humans because they feel like the humans have these big ideas.
1: Maybe the way that dinosaurs and humans are evolving has led them in different paths. So dinosaurs you know, still don't have hands, right? There's a little bit of a hands problem in this movie. So they're forced to do this very basic agricultural stuff. And humans are, you know, starting to develop smaller settlements and towns and are at an earlier point in history, right? They're not yet at cities. But there's a movement and humans have started to grow, which puts them at some sort of conflict.
0: Yes, maybe dinosaurs feel like in order to survive they need to do what they have always done in history, and they can't try new things because that's a path for danger. Whereas humans feel like in order to survive, they have to be at war with their surroundings and they can't trust their environment.
1: And of course, with that reading, you also bring back in the idea of dinosaurs being people who are stuck in the
0: old ways. Right. Of course, both of those philosophies have things to learn from, and also pitfalls. So then if we have Arlo and Spot.
1: Who is not named Spot, uh, but is instead named Sam.
0: <laughs> right. If we have Arlo and Sam, at first they meet. They don't trust each other because that's what they've learned. Mm-hmm. But through circumstances, they end up together and they both need to get back home. They both need to find their way home.
1: And they can both be afraid of each other, right? The way that these separate societies, dinosaurs and humans, have raised their young is that the others are very, very scary, and you can't trust them, and you can't, you know, that they're monstrous in a way. The stories Sam has seen growing up are dinosaurs as, you know, big giant carnivores, not gentle giants like Arlo. And Arlo has heard of humans as, you know, cavemen with fire, not... Little boys like Sam.
0: Right. So then the first half of the second act, once they are both taken out of their original environments, mm-hmm. they have a new environment. They have to find a way to get from wherever they are back to their homes. Mm-hmm. So the first half of this second act journey is them trying to make their way, not trusting each other, but seeing the way that the other is interacting with their environment and trying to survive, and eventually starting to realize that in order to survive their environment, they have to put together their ways of thinking.
1: And this happens a little bit in the movie as it is, that that Arlo sees that Spot is able to do things in a way that he is not able to. And maybe that can happen again, that Arlo has trouble, you know, procuring food Whereas Sam is very capable of doing that. But Sam is just not able to go through certain areas, right? Or he has to be very aware of all of the animals and scary things. And Arlo, who thought he was so afraid, actually realizes that he is so much more capable and he is able of protecting Sam in a way that he didn't realize.
0: Right. So. In the the way that the movie actually is, it's not an equal relationship because it is just Sam teaching Arlo how to survive in the world.
1: And not even teaching, just like providing for him. Yes. It's much (laughs) more give Arlo a fish or a branch full of berries than teach him how to get his own branch full of berries.
0: Right. (laughs) So it would be kind of that happening in an equal way, them learning from each other, them seeing their own strengths and potentially what they can provide in the world and the way that they're able to help each other, they'd form an unlikely alliance just to get home.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, all this happens during the fun and game stage as we're seeing as much of the world as we possibly can, as many different backdrops and setting and the beautiful environment that the Pixar team puts together as possible.
0: Yeah, and you can throw in the clever... Jokes that Pixar is so good at doing, the environmental jokes that they always put in. And then we would get to the midpoint, which we could keep the same because I really think that's a lovely scene of them bonding and, and them realizing.
1: In a serious way.
0: Yeah, that they both have lost people that they love. They've lost family members. Mm -hmm. They are more similar than they are different. Yeah, And that unlikely alliance actually turns into a genuine bond and friendship.
1: Yeah. So that gets us halfway in the movie. And to summarize where we are, Arlo is still afraid, but afraid for reasons. Afraid because that's how he's been brought up. He's sent away from home where he's uncomfortable, but he makes an ally. So at the midpoint, what would we say are Arlo's wants and what are his needs?
0: His want would still be to get home, mm-hmm. but his need would be to find a sense of purpose.
1: So just as we're thinking through this, the way that the second half unravels is that at some point Arlo gets home and realizes that that's not actually what he needed, right? Right. And whatever problems arise from him getting home and not fulfilling what he actually needs creates a way that he can fulfill what he needs.
0: Right. So then the second half of the movie would be them making their way home and they are friends now. We can still have fun stuff happening in the world on this journey. Mm -hmm. We can see it kind of as an episodic story in the same way that Finding Nemo was. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would expect in the second half, when things are starting to unravel and the characters don't necessarily realize that it's unraveling, we start to see what we feel like might be irreconcilable differences between the humans and the dinosaurs. We see the we see more of why these two why these two species are at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. And the way that this conflict between the two species is really causing destruction in the greater world.
1: Whereas in the fun and game section, when Arlo and Sam had been confronted by adversity, they'd gotten through it by working together. And in the bad guys close in section, the bad guys are really the fundamental knowledge that dinosaurs and humans cannot coexist. And that closes in by Arlo and Sam being confronted by, by problems and responding to them in fundamentally different ways and potentially irreconcilable ways.
0: Yes, or ways that feel like they can't be reconciled.
1: I like that. I also think that something this second act structure allows in its episodic nature and also in the way that Arlo and Sam are trekking together through the wilderness is it lets this movie be a little bit of a genre movie in the style of a Western, which the actual Good Dinosaur does a little bit. My favorite scene was the scene with Sam Elliott, where T-Rex Sam Elliott is a rancher, and he takes kind of a Western vibe as he's teaching Arlo about, you know, he's trading stories around a campfire, he's teaching him how to herd cattle, he's telling him how to get through life. He gives some deep messages. And I think the idea of being alone in the wilderness and working with someone, a little bit of a buddy cop story, a little bit of an episodic nature of meeting different kooky characters, a little bit of always being at odds and always being a little bit conscious of your surroundings, understanding that things can go wrong at any time you could dive really deep into these Western tropes in a way that I think would make this movie really interesting from the genre perspective that makes movies like The Incredibles or Cars or our favorite, Cars 2, (laughs) so interesting because they are Pixar movies, but also they're very deeply embedded into this genre framework.
0: Right. I think that's really true. I think that in this everything unraveling phase, probably it would all culminate in Arlo seeing some major destruction done by the humans Mm -hmm. and thinking this way of life, this way of having ideas about the future and and wanting to be more than just survival, that Mm -hmm. way of life is destructive and bad and wrong and scary. And so that kind of blows up their friendship and, and they go separate ways and they both return home but they have lost this friendship.
1: And I think what the turning point can be is I think in this case, it still is kind of fun for Arlo and Sam to be swept away in a river. That's kind of a neat device to get them far away from home Mm -hmm. and have to trek the landscape on the way back. And what if they find out that humans are building dams and the swell in the river that potentially swept them away, that Arlo is still has deep, trauma about, that is where a lot of his fear comes in. Maybe that was caused by humans trying to stop the river and interfere with the natural world.
0: I really like that. I think that's really good. So then that- I'm pretty
1: psyched about that. That's good.
0: So then that blows up their friendship. Arlo goes back. He's like, okay, lesson learned. Humans are bad, trying to be bigger, trying to find the meaning of life, whatever.
1: And Arlo is now at home. Yes. Arlo being at home is not the culmination of the movie. It's not, you know, the big ending. It's just basically at the end of act two, they just make it home.
0: Exactly, And and Arlo feels like now he knows that the dinosaur way of life is right. You should never try to change anything. Just stick to what you've always done and don't evolve.
1: He gets what he wants, but he still hasn't made a big difference in the world. And he's feeling like you should just survive. You don't have to have any greater purpose.
0: Right. I would think that a potential turn could be that Arlo finds out that the dinosaurs are retaliating against the humans in some way. Mm -hmm. They feel like the humans are going too far and need to be destroyed because they're threatening the dinosaurs' way of life.
1: Maybe they think that the humans attacked and took Arlo. Maybe they attribute Arlo's disappearance to being the humans' fault.
0: Yeah. It's possible that Arlo sees that the dinosaurs are going to cause a lot of destruction to the humans. Potentially, the dinosaurs are destroying the dams. Mm -hmm. Maybe that then is yet another twist to this, is that that is where the flood came from for Arlo and Sam.
1: It wasn't the humans making the dams. It was actually the dinosaurs destroying the human dams. So it wasn't the humans that caused Arlo and Sam to be washed away. It was the tension between humans and dinosaurs that caused the initial problem in this movie.
0: Yes. And I think that this this would only work if both species are genuinely going at this wrong. It mm-hmm. can't just be that... One of them is is right and the other is, you know, the the humans are innovating and then the dinosaurs are stuck in their old ways. And it can't just be that humans are destroying the planet and the dinosaurs love nature. It would really have to be balanced and it would have to be clear that both species could learn from one another.
1: And that is such an interesting theme, especially in this moment that everyone thinks that they're just doing the right thing. And instead, the tension between groups who think they're doing the right thing is what's causing strife and stress. And you need the groups to come together in order for harmony to be reachieved.
0: Right. And that these bridges are built through connecting and and realizing that beneath all of the different experiences and contexts mm-hmm. we have, the human experience or, you know, whatever Dinosaur experience. the experience of being alive and being in this world is the same in a lot of ways and that they can still find connection and understanding and learning.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: There's, <laughs> there's a line in the actual movie where Arlo sees the ghost of his dad and he's saying Arlo's telling his dad, you know, I'm. I need to go safe spot because I care about him and I love him.
1: And it's so weird. It's
0: so weird, and it reminds me of um the like a dramatic teen drama of of a girl being like, "But Daddy, I love him." <laughs> and they could even keep that vibe, of being like, "I know that he's the other to you, but I love him."
1: Or they could get rid of that. They They could could get get rid rid of of that that. too. (laughs) But at the climactic tension, the clash between the humans and the dinosaurs, where the humans are armed with pitchforks and and torches, and you see how big the dinosaurs really are. At that moment, it's Arlo and Sam who rush out into the middle and stop the fighting and show that the humans and dinosaurs need to work together and can work together together and can trust each other for a greater good.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's still, it feels cheesy in some ways, but I think that an ending like that can be earned if the characterization in the setup of the movie is strong enough. Yeah. And we see clearly the reasons that both characters have to distrust one another. hmm And then the ways that they overcome that and get to know one another and care about one another and see the world through a new perspective.
1: Yeah. And of course, this movie would have to be tied together, not only with the great animation, but also with voice acting that makes it work and character animation that is a little bit more in the general language of the movie that all builds together towards the same thing. And sound design that leads towards one specific end goal, right, maybe helps build up tension in kind of a Old West, you know, reed pipes way. A lot of the movie feels like it's disjointed. And I think that joining everything together towards this one vibe, towards this one story, which is we need to be able to work together and we need to be able to learn from our past, but also move forward and also we need to not be afraid. We need to be courageous in this new era. That this is an era that calls for courage. That everything, all the artists, all of the hundreds or thousands of people who work on these movies need to understand that every single thing leads into that true meaning.
0: Right. And when you have those deeper ideas of how to move forward in the world, how to innovate in a responsible way that still takes into account the wisdom of the past and the wisdom mm-hmm. of our environment and the world around us. There's a lot to work with there. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of big ideas and the ways that our fear of innovation and change leads us to project a fear onto the other. Mm-hmm. I think that that is an exciting theme to work with. And maybe it's not this (laughs) this outline that we just came up with in um, this past 10 minutes. But I just think that there's more to this movie. And it felt like they kind of cut their losses on it a little bit.
1: Mm. I think that's really important because... We're not saying, look, we just did it. We just fixed this movie. They should have just listened to us. That would be, of course, ridiculous. And really, really amazing people who have done amazing work in everything else they've done. Those people tried really hard and created something that just sort of didn't work out. And we're not saying that just based on what we said, this would be a fantastic movie. Of course, it takes so much, so much more. But The other thing is that all these ideas are in this movie, right? This movie talks a lot about fear and isolation and wanting to be greater than what you have been. How can you be more than what's expected of you? The way we talked about it, we're definitely adding in a few big elements, you know, human society for one of them, but it is really based off of all of these individual ideas that the movie's already working with and having a little trouble putting together.
0: Yeah. And there are really low points in the writing process. There are points when you hit a wall and feel like the story is never going to work. And the way to push past that, I think for me has been really boiling it down to the core of a story and why I care about it and what big ideas am I trying to grapple with and understand. Mm -hmm. And it felt like because they maybe couldn't find that or because the team that ended up working on it didn't actually care that much or feel that personal connection to the original ideas in this story, they got to this point where the movie was fine. And of course, could have been better, but would have been really hard because this storytelling is really hard. It would have been very challenging to do yet another rethink of the plot. And because they didn't have that tie to the theme, it felt like this was the only thing they could do.
1: And of course, in an animated movie, you can't just do reshoots, right? You need to reanimate the whole thing. And this movie, one of the great things about it is how much space it takes up literally on the Pixar hard drives. The literal file size of this movie is 10 times bigger, literally 10 times bigger than Monsters University because of all the depth and realism they give the world. So any adjustments are both very difficult and very costly.
0: Yeah, you're right. I always think of it as if, it's the team of story writers and they're they're working on the story until it's done and then they're animating it, but that's mm-hmm. not actually how the process is. It happens concurrently in a lot of cases.
1: Exactly. But I agree that maybe if Bob Peterson, and we haven't said his name yet, but Bob Peterson is the person who came up with the initial idea for this movie. He wanted to talk about what it would be like to be a dinosaur and what we don't understand or what we don't think about when we talk about dinosaurs, and it seems like that, as you're saying, is about what it means when we call a human a dinosaur, but also a little bit, it's this interest in actual dinosaurs and wanting to tell a story about dinosaurs. And it does seem like partially where this movie falters is that the guy who was really invested in telling a dinosaur story ended up not being part of the team who rewrote and finished telling the story. It seems a little at odds with some of the other people who we've who we know well through this universe, right? We know that Pete Doctor wanted to write a movie about monsters. As you talked about in that podcast, at first he wanted to write a movie about a man who could see monsters and no one else could see them. And of course, Monsters Inc. is very different from that, but Pete Doctor had an idea about monsters, and if you asked other people to execute his idea without the passion for the subject matter, right? It certainly wouldn't have turned out that well. Andrew Stanton played Barnaby in a high school production of Hello Dolly, and it sent him on this whole path of becoming an artist and a screenwriter and a movie maker. He makes Wally off of his experience in Hello Dolly and Hello Dolly plays a huge role in that movie. How do you make a story based on subject matter that is beloved by someone if the people creating it don't feel the same way about the subject matter? And look, I don't know why Bob Peterson wasn't involved on this movie, but he had a passion about dinosaurs which could have led to a really wonderful, imaginative, inventive story and when given to other people who maybe didn't share his passion, it was okay that this movie turned into a fine kids movie. And look, to be honest, the reviews on this movie are not bad.
0: Yeah, the reviews are pretty middle of the road.
1: And I think that's because the critical body is critiquing this movie on the level that the movie is, which is it's a middle tier kids movie. It doesn't try to have big ideas like Inside Out does. It just is a way to entertain for a few hours. And for that, it does it fine. It entertains kids effectively. It doesn't take a big swing. So it gets some soft contact. It isn't great. It doesn't ascend beyond that. And I think that if we are disappointed, it's because we are holding it to that level where They spent a couple hundred million dollars on it. And they also received a couple hundred million dollars on it from sales around the world. Lots of people saw this movie. And as a production studio, you have a responsibility, at least we think, to do more than base entertainment, because you should be spreading a message that is interesting and insightful and useful in some way.
0: And you know that I, you know I don't like the idea that oh, it's good for a kid's movie. Exactly. But I do also recognize the value in entertaining kids for a couple hours.
1: Of course. But that's what insert name of other studio is for, not Pixar.
0: Yeah. And and the thing about this movie is I don't think that it's saying anything damaging like some other movies. So in that sense, you know, I don't have objection to it. I just felt like it could have been better than it was.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was a really interesting movie to watch, though. I think this is the only Pixar movie that I've never seen. Is that true for you also?
0: We haven't seen Cars 3.
1: Okay, that's true. But it is a rarity in the entire Pixar catalog. It's the first Pixar movie we haven't seen yet. So it was interesting to watch it and to think through why it never gained the traction that some other Pixar movies do. And it's pretty clear that it's because they kind of Tossed it aside. Like, it makes sense watching it why it didn't pick up steam. I think that's why Pixar movies do so well is because because it's not the kids who are paying for it. The kids do love all these movies, but it's the parents who spread the word, and it's the parents who spend money on the movies. And it makes sense that some people saw The Good Dinosaur, and they told their friends, you don't have to take your kids to this one. It's fine. Save your money.
0: Also, to give credit to kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that probably happened with kids as well. Yeah. Kids are capable of discerning quality. I don't they, they're not gonna be able to break down story structure because they don't have that context, but or that language. Yeah, but they they do understand I love these characters versus I don't know, I it was fine.
1: That's a great point. When we were in, you know, whatever it was, seventh, eighth grade. There was lots of talk about like, oh my God, have you seen Finding Nemo? It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Maybe mm-hmm. not in those words, but just like, <laughs> oh, I love Finding Nemo. I love Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Yeah, just keep swimming. I was going to say, it was mostly
0: people saying that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, look, I mean, maybe for eight-year-olds when The Good Dinosaur came out, that was true, but it doesn't feel like it.
0: And I think that the, the thing that I I feel like we have said, and it's just important to say, is that our 10-minute exercise about what this movie could have been mm-hmm. it's it's like you said it's not like they could have just written that and it would have been great and whatever that that movie in the first many many iterations would have been bad <laughs> because oh, yeah. that's how the process works yeah. so really it is just it's constantly looking at a movie seeing what doesn't work why it doesn't work and then trying it again
1: iterating and iterating over and over
0: Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think a lot of reasons, partly maybe because of the personal investment and also because the financial investment, surely they weren't able to do that. And this was the result. And it's fine. It's okay.
1: Listen, if you go 15 movies with basically all success across the board and on number 16, you miss, that's a great hit percentage. You did a great job.
0: Yeah. So, Josh, that was 16. What is 17?
1: Well, I kind of just alluded to it, but we are going to just keep swimming along to Finding
2: Ah, Dory. Ah,
0: okay. Well, thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, and we will see you next week with Finding Dory.
1: Bye.